What's up, everybody? Fritz here. Just like to thank you for checking out this Coin Gamma episode. Coin Gamma, we're looking to increase our offerings. We want to help elevate the knowledge of blockchain and crypto in our community for our people. And so, for to do so, we want to make sure that we package it in the right way and have the right set of offerings. Therefore, it would be great to hear from you. You can go to coingamma.com slash survey. Got a real quick survey, about 90 seconds. Um, but it will go a long way to make sure that we offer exactly what our folks need, our people need. Again, that's coingamma.com slash survey. It will mean a whole, whole lot. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Coin Gamma podcast, uh, where we break down all the topics within the crypto and blockchain space. Uh, 2020 is a year that is full of headlines, and uh, the crypto space is not without, um, you know, similar top stories and trends. And one of the top trends in crypto and blockchain is uh, DeFi. Um, short for decentralized finance. It's all the wave. It's a bit confusing. Um, so thankfully, we were able to get an expert uh, on the podcast, but also a return guest. Um, you know, we're happy to have as today's co-host, uh, Mr. Akin Sawyer of Felamon. And I don't need to give him a long introduction um, because he was actually on his podcast before. So if you want to know a lot more about what Akin story and how you got into blockchain and you know he's an alumni of uh, of Dartmouth like the guy is 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 super impressive. Listen to uh, episode eleven. Um, but to that end, first off, Akin, thank you for making yourself available uh, to the Coin Game podcast and its audience again. But you know, since we spoke last, obviously we don't have to go through your full story. If there's anything in the last year and a half um, that we've spoken that you, you know, you want to, you know, uh, update the guest on and some cool projects you're involved in, um, let us, let, let us know or, or add, add to the introduction that we've already done. If, if you have a chance. Sure. Sure. Um, first of all, thanks for having me again. It's great to be back. Um, yeah, so I guess, I guess, I guess over the last year, I've been primarily focused over the last year, um, working with Decred, um, in the strategy and Africa focused role. Um, I don't know if too many people know about Decred, but you know, Decred was one of the early layer one projects that was heavily focused on governance um, yeah. and a secure store of value similar to Bitcoin. Um, the best way to think about Decred is, is similar to Bitcoin, but it has a very sophisticated governance process that allows the community right. to participate um, and get involved. And so I've been kind of heads down for most of the last year um, working on Decred and, you know, when you know, I guess when the coronavirus hit and quarantine kind of hit you know, hit us, um, DeFi started kind of picking up. And so over the last couple of months, I've been a little more focused on the DeFi space, which I'd gotten into actually, um, you know, a couple of years back, actually early on. So uh, things are beginning to pick up now. And some of the, so some of what I thought was going to transpire is beginning to sort of get hot. So um, it's interesting to see how things are evolving. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. 
Um, thank you for that background and, and for folks listening, definitely check out Decred and some of the cool things that they're doing. Um, you know, governance is definitely something that's imperative in all blockchain projects. And so um, they, they're building on what, you know, they, they believe they could improve on versus uh, Bitcoin and make that better. So that's super cool. But yes, like you said, um, blockchain has kind of been a, a huge topic. Um, it's been something that, I mean, uh, decentralized finance has been a huge topic within blockchain this year. And yeah, it's super cool that you were able to kind of get exposed to it. Me personally, like I've had, like, I, you know, I've heard about the compounds, the makers and stuff like that. Um, I didn't dig in super deep, but this year I'm starting to kind of um, try to catch up on, on, on missed time. But like, you know, for folks listening, a lot of folks are, are, are that listen to podcasts, they kind of scan, they scan the, I would say blockchain uh, knowledge realm. So, you know, be super beginners to people that are, are, are really in depth, but, you know, we're going to kind of break it down for people more on the beginning side. Like what, how would you explain DeFi to people that are new to it? Like what, what is it? Why is it, why is it important? Sure. Um, so DeFi, as you said, is decentralized finance, right? And I think for, for the layman, an easy way to just think about it is, you know, we're trying to recreate and rebuild everything you see in modern finance today. You know, banking, finance, investments, venture capital, private equity, insurance, just yeah. about every financial product that human, people interact with today um, is, you know, decentralized finance is trying to restructure and rebuild that on the blockchain. Right. Um, and there are, there are a number of benefits and a number of reasons why um, that's a good idea, right? So, um, you know, an example I tell people is the simplest example is think about what commercial banks do. You know, you put your money in the bank. Um, in the savings account and checking accounts. And what the banks do to make money is they lend your money back out, right? So right. they lend your money back out to some guy who's running a business who hopefully is making a decent margin, you know, maybe a 20% return, 25% return on his business. He's paying 8% in interest to the bank. And today, you know, most of that interest and most of that return is absorbed by the bank. Right. So those who are putting their money in savings accounts, checking accounts, um, are either getting very, very little interest or are actually paying more fees than they are getting in, in return, right? Absolutely. So what DeFi basically is, is, you know, you're, you're removing the intermediary, right? So you're moving, you're moving the bank and the protocol becomes the bank, right? The protocol yeah. and, you know, the algorithms that back the protocol effectively become the bank. So in today's world, you know, rather than put your money in a savings account, you can you know, put value into a DeFi protocol as what's called a liquidity provider, an LP. Sure. And as a liquidity provider, you're essentially, it's almost similar to like a savings account. You're putting up all these capital so that other people can borrow, right? Right. That capital to use and secure the network. And they borrow for all sorts of reasons, right? So I might want to borrow, you know, a stable coin like USDT because they don't want to liquidate their Bitcoin. And they think right. that their Bitcoin continue to go up. So they don't want to lose that upside, right? So some might just borrow a stable coin, go spend, convert it to US dollars and spend it um, because they want to kind of continue to, you know, they think Bitcoin is going to go up. Other people might borrow because they want leverage, right? So they might put up their cryptocurrency like Bitcoin as collateral to go borrow so that they can go buy more Bitcoin or buy more of another token and leverage that up. So you have all this different reasons why people might want to kind of engage and borrow crypto. But the, the end result is that the protocol kind of now allocates 
you know, essentially, you know, makes allocation decision, right? Where does the, where, who, who should we lend to? Are they putting up collateral? And what's the best return you're getting, right? So right. the protocol serves two purposes. One, that allocates your capital, but it's trying to optimize, right? And figure out where that capital can get the best return, right? So multiple people are bidding to kind of borrow. It goes to the person who has, you know, good collateral and someone who might give the best return. Um, and so, so that's one example of what's happening in DeFi with some of these lending protocols that are coming together. Um, and then you also have AMMs, automated market makers, which are for like decentralized exchanges, right? So you have centralized exchanges like Coinbase, Binance, where you can go in, you can buy sure. crypto, but you also have DEXs, right? Where basically rather than having a central centralized exchange, like similar to what you'd have with a bank being intermediary, all you have is different people coming together, putting up crypto and uh, creating a marketplace where others can buy and sell. Right? Others can buy and sell crypto. And well, let's, let's, let's hold that thought around DEXs sure. for a second. So back to the main point, would you say that DeFi is kind of like a um, decentralized peer-to-peer -peer lending, like a lending club, but without the company lending club in the middle? Yep, it's very similar to that. So okay. it's okay. essentially a peer-to-peer -peer system where all the market participants are coming together, those who are bringing in capital, those who are borrowing capital, and the protocol is just basically optimizing and making those allocation decisions, right? So got it, got it. There's a huge cost savings because all you have now is this protocol, right, which is very, very low cost, it's making these decisions. And those who are putting up the capital get to keep, you know, just about all the returns. Um, Absolutely. Yep. So one, one, one metaphor I like to use sometimes is like Bitcoin. Bitcoin so when you think about a bank, a bank does a lot of things. Like you mentioned, a bank gives you a mortgage, gives you a student loan. Um, banks have uh, brokerages where they allow you to transact and buy investments. Uh, banks obviously lend to businesses as well. But also banks do simple stuff like allow you to pay your bills and send money from one person to the other, right? So I use Bank of America and, you know, they have a service called Zelle and I could send money between from my, my account to, you know, some whoever else has Zelle, um, to family member or friends. And Bitcoin is probably good for that part, like the sending from myself to somebody else, paying for a bill if, you know, you know, obviously my electricity company doesn't accept Bitcoin, but if they ever do, like Bitcoin is legitimate for that. But past that, Bitcoin is not really that great. Um, but everything else that comes with a bank, which is really how they make their living, is indeed a DeFi. So the lending, the borrowing, the, um, you know, savings, the leverage, you name it. Um, so, yeah, that's, it's cool to see the space is kind of like really starting to eat up every part of the banking system. Um, and you know, it's definitely something that is really pushing towards, uh, you know, full, full disruption, um, which is super cool. Now question for you. So I see a lot of these projects that they obviously are taking off. Like what gives a DeFi project like its value? Because is it because like, for instance, obviously I could, you could have a lot of, it's almost like a two-sided marketplace. I got, you have a lot of people that could put into the pool, but if people are not looking to borrow from that platform, is that, is that still a problem? Is that where, like how, how, where's the value come from? I guess, is it just the interest rate that people could get? Um, that's a little bit hazy for me. 
Yeah, so so the value, so the, the kind of today I'd say two main sources of value, right? I said the first is you now need to have users, right? So you really don't have any value creation unless someone is willing to use your protocol and pay a fee, right? So whether it's a DEX where people are actually transacting, right, and converting one token to another and paying fees for that, or a lending protocol where someone is um, paying a transaction fee and also paying an interest rate, you have to have users. And, and so without users, you really don't have any value creation, right? There's no activity, there's no community, if no, there's no one using it, then you have nothing. Now, the second part of where we've seen a lot of value accrual is in oftentimes all these, you know, DeFi platform have tokens. Um, and for the majority of them, the tokens serve kind of essentially a governance process, um, purpose. Mm. So this idea that, um, for example, if you're using a platform, um, you know, like Aave, which is, you know, one of the big lending platforms, um, oftentimes as users also can accumulate and, and um, accumulate the governance token for the platform, which is Lend, right? By just being a user or being an LP, you know, being a liquidity provider, um, you can also kind of farm these tokens and use these tokens. And the right. reason why these tokens also accrue value is because it allows token holders to actually govern the platform, right, and help the platform make decisions. So you get to uh. vote on all sorts of decisions, like, you know, what should be the interest or what should be the fees that liquidity providers get, versus just accumulating the protocol for development or whatever other reasons, right? You get to kind of make those decisions, and we're seeing a lot of those governance tokens, you know. Um, acquire a monetary premium. Like a lot of people want to hold those tokens because they want governance power. And in many of these protocols, these tokens are limited, right? So there's this sort of people mm -hmm. looking like way down to your future and saying, look, some of these protocols we call multi-billion dollar platforms with limited governance rights. Like they want to be able to have the ability to govern those tokens. And they think that over time, you know, those tokens will also begin to accumulate value, right? So in the short term, you might say that the majority of the return for a lending protocol, for example, goes to liquidity providers, right? They get all the interest. But at some point, that becomes a multi-billion dollar platform. You know, the, the, the token holders might make a decision down the line to say, look, you know, a certain percentage of the return on the protocol should go to LPs and token holders. Right. Just are governing the platform. And that could be a substantial amount of free cash that's being generated by these protocols, right? And if you're a token holder, then you stand to gain, um, you know, a cash flow stream um, for for providing those governance um, services to the platform. So, um, a lot of the a lot of the platforms that are also kind of getting good fees are also generating generating fairly some of them fairly high, you know, premiums um, to their governance tokens because people believe that those tokens are worth something today and going to be worth a lot more down the line. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I mean, I think the, for folks that are not familiar. A lot of these platforms, so it, obviously what you're doing is you're removing a middleman, but in the absence of middleman, there still has to be decisions that, the, that are going to be made um, on how to move a project forward and how it's going to work and also to incentivize people to continue to work on, on it to make it better. And the a lot of these, you know, so it becomes almost like a governance, obviously is connected to the government and the government that the government uh to, to parallel to you know the real world it's you know some democratic government and there's voting and things of that sort and so 
It sounds like, you know, different platforms have different ways to allocate their voting rights and many of which is kind of like, you know, how many, uh, you know, coins you hold or tokens you hold in these particular projects. And um, that is valuable. Um, so imagine if you could vote for the U.S. president by the number, the amount of dollars you had. Obviously, I mean, this is not a political podcast. I think, you know, people that have most of the money are, are probably moving elections more than we would like. Um, but just for this um, metaphor, just assume you could. Um, and, and there were limited amount of dollars. And so that would obviously be super, you'd be super incentivized to kind of obtain that as much as you can. Um, if you think that, you know, being able to, you know, move a election um, can benefit you or benefit your people in some way. Um, so no, I love that. I love that. That's super, super interesting. So like what, I mean, there's some crazy projects that just kind of pop up out of nowhere. Like one, obviously I think that everybody's looking at is like this, like YFI or urine finance or urine fi. Yep. Like, and it's, it's, it's gone nuts, um, over the last, so what, I mean, have you been following that one? Like, how does it work? Like, why is it going, you know, gangbusters? Like, what makes it, is it, do you, I mean, the market seems to think that it's the best, it's the more, one of the most potential. Do you believe that? Like, break it down for us. Yeah, so yeah, it's, I've, I've been following kind of in the background because I'm not, I'm not invested in it. <laughs> but sure. it's, it's been a remarkable, um, it's been a remarkable story. Like, And so, from what I understand, urine is basically this protocol that, Try stop. So you have so for your to to function, you have these other protocols already exist where people can lend, they can borrow, they can kind of put up collateral and get a return. And from what I understand, what you know, Yearn does is it kind of scours the market, right, and tries to figure out where can you get the best return for your token, right? So right. whatever collateral you're putting up, it's basically trying to optimize across like the whole landscape, right? And it does this in real time. It's fairly dynamic. And the protocol just tries to optimize and get you, get you the best return um, for your collateral. Um, so it's hopping up and, and leveraging other protocols like, you know, like Aave and some of the other protocols that already exist. And, you know, is essentially trying to, you know, get the best return, figure out arbitrage opportunities. And it's, it's just sort of like this very dynamic money-making algorithm. And it's grown really quickly because People just people who just have capital laying around, who or folks who are already kind of manually trying to figure this out themselves um, in a non-optimal way, are like, look, I could just plug my collateral into this protocol, and it's like an automatic system. It just gives, you know, it, it just sort of optimizes the return for me. And um, so you have individuals who are using the platform and getting the best yield on their capital. And so I think it's grown over the last few weeks to over a billion dollars worth of um, total value locked, which is the term people you'd hear a lot in, in, in the DeFi space, TVL. So that's the total value that's locked into a protocol. I think it just crossed a billion um, either yesterday or today. Um, Incredible. In the last weeks. Um, and it's, so so that's, that, that's pretty remarkable. Um, and... So it's, you know, because of that, you know, the, 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 the urine token, which I think there's only about 30,000, but there'll only ever be 30,000, um, has grown really fast in value. Like, a, you know, it went from, 
you know, tens of dollars. Now it's over $35,000 a token. Why? And you can imagine people who bought it for a hundred bucks, 200 bucks just weeks ago, all of a sudden you're sitting on, you know, what, over like a 200, 300 X return. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Crazy. So, um, I mean, so you have platforms like that that are just kind of taking off, you know, um, and then you have, obviously now there've been lots of copycats that have tried to follow, try to fork the code and try to kind of do similar things, um, you know, and some have, you know, some have failed spectacularly in a short period of time. You know, you have a lot of folks who are putting out on audited code. So there, there's still quite a lot of risks, like in the space, like, you know, I think Absolutely. It's, it's not for the, for the faint of heart or the ill, or, or the ill informed. Um, because you have a lot of people who are still kind of just putting out experimental code that's not audited. And, you know, some of these things are accumulating so much value that it's attracting people who are basically trying to break the code, right? Try to figure out the vulnerabilities and possibly steal people's, um, you know, tokens. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's still a very interesting, an interesting space. You know, m my issue with some of these um, kind of, you know, DeFi platforms that have come and kind of grown really quickly is, you know, I'm still trying to figure out if they, if any of them have a kind of long-term competitive advantage or moat, um, because we're seeing like some of these platforms getting basically replicated overnight, because a lot of this code is open source, right? Right. Solana just replicates it, makes some tweaks, um, might make it more favorable to a certain market participant, and all of a sudden, a lot of capital can move from a you know the protocol of the day to another, right? And you can go from you know, you have some of these protocols that you can go from a billion dollars locked to nothing if someone basically has figured out a slightly better, a slightly better improvement to what you're doing. And people can easily just move their capital. It's it's, it's very very simple. But I, yeah. I think people are, people are loyal to the return, not necessarily um, to the protocol itself. Or you know, so the so I'm I'm still kind of worried if it's any long term competitive advantage or long-term moat that can be built by some of these protocols. And I'm just not sure. Uh, I'm sure like, you know, some will end up figuring out some way to kind of, maybe they have strong communities and they build some sort of a track record. Um, they have like, you know, certain founders that have, you know, some notoriety. And, and so some might be able to sort of retain that position and iterate and grow and, and improve the protocol and add functionality and complexity. Um, but yeah. I'm just not confident that, <laughs> You know, I think a lot of them will come and go. Um, yeah, a lot of, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, it, it, well, if you touch on a few things, I mean, first, oh, overall, like, this is definitely not for the faint of heart. Um, it is definitely, is very, very risky. Like, crypto in general is risky. It's probably the riskiest part of crypto. So definitely be careful. And it's, it's a part, and also, yes, these, you know, while it's code, code is made by people. And people are could be building stuff in a malicious fashion, or even make mistakes. Yep. Um. And so definitely. And so is that kind of what happened with the, this Yam Yam token? Like they kind of like crashed. I think they. I think there was something wrong with the code, and you know that's kind of yeah. that's where a lot of the value kind of went. Yeah, there know. was an issue with the code. So so the well with the Yam, there was an issue with the code that they tried to kind of fix and repair. Um, so they had this governance vote and the people had to sort of basically stake their collateral and there was this sort of like last minute effort to try to save it. And they did get people, they got enough votes, I believe, to sort of you know, put in this fix. 
but it turned out the fix couldn't work because of some other issue. And so basically it blew up. Um, so the value of the YAM token itself just kind of went from, I can't remember what it was priced at. It, it had this meteoric run up and it just basically went down to zero. Yeah. Um, but for, for, but the good thing is, you know, most of the collateral, or I believe all the collateral that people have put up was, was nothing was stolen. People got their collateral back, but they lost all the value they might've accrued in this token that they were basically farming. Um, so they're basically, I, I, I don't think there might be, there might have been some people that bought the token that it was go, as it was going up, but the majority of token holders just earned the token for putting up collateral in the system. Um, so it's like, it was almost just kind of like a, um, you know, like what's, what's the best word? It's almost like a dividend, right? For, right. For, for being an LP and the value was just going gangbusters. And so people lost that, right? But for the vast majority of people, it's like, okay, you know, it wasn't really money they put up. It was a reward that they ended up losing and they got the collateral back. Um, but yeah, sure. I'm sure there's some people who had just bought the token, seeing this thing going up. And um, I'm sure a lot, some, there are a handful of people that definitely lost quite a bit of money. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It, 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 yeah, exactly. So, I mean, thank you for that. Um, it's it's definitely something that obviously could lead to a tremendous amount of um, capital in a short period of time. But, you know, what goes up really fast could go down even faster. So um, make sure you do uh, your research, but also, you know, tread carefully, tread carefully. And, to, and another point is that these things are hard to use. Like it's really, it's not like going on Coinbase or Bi even Binance and just kind of, you know, wiring some money, sending the ETH over to something and kind of doing it. It's a bit complex. Like what, and then you touched on decentralized exchanges. Are decentralized exchanges the way to obtain some of these tokens? And if so, like how does, what, what's Uniswap and how does that fit in into all this? Because that's the one that I, I see that's consistently mentioned as a way to interact with some of these things. Yeah. So, yeah. So for a lot of these um, DeFi tokens, they get they get launched first on Uniswap. So typically, that's usually the first or only place you can actually acquire these tokens. Um, as I said, Uniswap is a decentralized exchange, which is effectively, as you said, a peer-to-peer -peer system to basically exchange tokens. Right. right. An algorithm that sits in the middle. It allows people to exchange tokens for a fee. And typically the way you access Uniswap is through, um, you know, Web3 enabled wallet like MetaMask, um, which is probably the most popular, right? And so people have this wallet called MetaMask. You can hold your Ethereum ERC20 tokens in it. ERC20 is a standard for Ethereum and um, you can swap tokens. Um, but lately a lot of these tokens as they've sort of grown really fast in a really short period of time, have also started being listed on centralized exchanges like Binance. Um, you know, to less than Coinbase, I think Coinbase has a much higher threshold for listing tokens, um, but Binance has been, you know, particularly the last few weeks has been seemingly more aggressive to want to list those tokens. Um, but to, to be able to use, like you said, there's some level of know-how you need to have to be able to actually farm these tokens and know what you're doing and uses protocols, right? So to, to the initiator, it's really not that difficult. Like it's not too complex, um, but to the average person who, you know, doesn't do crypto day, day to day, um, and is just sort of like a passive investor, like this, this is not necessarily what, something for you um, because not only do people have to have some level of 
understanding of the the, 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 the space moves so quickly. Um, you need to kind of be watching, you know, you need to be watching this thing pretty much day to day. Like for most right. of the participants in the DeFi space who are yield farming and getting into kind of like the weeds and like the cutting, the bleeding edge, like these people do it for a living. They do it day to day. And, and so they can react relatively quickly, you know, if new information comes out, if there seems to be some vulnerability or some issue, like they can react, you know, a lot quicker than, you know, someone who's just, you know, thinking about crypto as an investment or, you know, a place to put some other portfolio. Um, and I think it's just a very small group of people. <laughs> like at the end of the day, it's, you know, no more than a few thousand people who I think are involved in most of these yield farming experiments and they're hopping from one to the next. You know, granted, you know, people are making some people are making a lot of money, um, but you know, the, but but they, they probably they they know the risks. You know, they know what they're doing to a large extent, and you know, with the level of knowledge they have, they can kind of you know they will make those bets and take those risks um, for the return. No, get it? No, for sure, for sure. Thank you. That's a, that's a great synopsis. I mean, I, I agree. I think it's. If you knew, if you knew, I, I, I tell people, if you knew the crypto, just like stick to Bitcoin, stick to ETH. Uh, and also to the point of ETH, ETH is the foundation for all of this, right? So, you know, if you're thinking about from perspective of, hey, like the top coins, which ones have an interesting story or interesting use case, Ether is actually the underlying layer for all this. So there has to be some interaction with ETH at some point of this. So like, you know, if you're new to this and you want some exposure to it somehow, but you don't know how to, you, you know, you don't want to get too in depth, um, that could be an interesting um, way to play it. Um, that being said, obviously do your own research, um, but it's, it's, ETH is definitely under, underneath all this. And similar to like 2017, where you had the whole ICO boom and ETH was kind of like the, the platform that powered all of it. Um, it's the same thing happening here in certain aspects. So super cool. Like we actually, we probably could have, this episode could probably go for like three hours. Um, but, you know, we just wanted to kind of give an introduction to this um, and, and introduce uh, this whole concept and give an update um, to, you know, how it works and how, how it breaks down. And and definitely thank you, thankful to Akin for, for uh, you know, Giving him, giving us a lot of the knowledge around this, but I can, if people wanted to follow you, and you know, keep in touch, like where, where should they go? Yeah, best place for me is on Twitter. So Twitter is almost like the, you know, the town square for crypto. That's where a okay. lot of folks in the crypto space they are engaging and talking. And so, best place to find me is on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Akin Sawyer. That's A K I N S A W Y E R R. Yes, Akin is a is a great follow. I learned a lot from following him, so definitely follow him. I'm going to link to his uh, handle in the show notes, and um, you know, with that, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. Obviously, we, this is a very deep concept, so definitely reach out to me um, if you want to go. You you have any questions and, and things you want me to explore in future episodes, and obviously, reach out directly to to, to Akin on 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 Twitter if you have any any additional questions until next time what's up everybody fritz here just like to thank you for checking out this coin gamma episode coin gamma we're looking to increase our offerings we want to help elevate 
the knowledge of blockchain and crypto in our community for our people and so for to do so we want to make sure that we package it in the right way and have the right set of offerings therefore it'll be great to hear from you you can go to coingamma.com survey got a real quick survey about 90 seconds um but it will go a long way to make sure that we offer exactly what our folks need our people need again that's coingamma.com survey it will mean a whole whole lot thank you <laughs>